accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called The Assignment. It is the fifth episode of the fifth season, aired on October 28th, 1996. Teleplay goes to Bradley Thompson and David Weddle. Story credit goes to Robert Letterman and David R. Long, directed by Alan Croker. In this episode, after returning from the fire caves on Bejor, Keiko's body is controlled by an alien life form that forces her husband, O'Brien, to do its bidding or else face the death of his wife. Clay, welcome to the assignment. Did this one feel like an assignment to you? Hey, yo. Um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that it took it took five people to finally make Keiko interesting, and their solution was, what if we make her a different character? <laughs> We're going to be talking about the assignment, which is a uh, a very... I think there's a lot to talk about with this episode, actually, but... Um, I don't think we have anything to open up. We talked a lot in the the episode before this as an opener, so I think we'll just get right into it. So I'm going to play an audio clip. We're going to take a break. Me and Clay are going to come back and break down the assignment. It was Julian. He was trying to be helpful. He overwatered them. It's not his fault. Do you know how he is? Sometimes he doesn't even know what he's doing. I'm sorry, sweetheart. We'll buy some new ones. Forget it, Miles. They're just planned. Exactly. It's not as if something happened to Molly or the baby. Right, right. I mean, everybody's fine. No problems. <laughs> Good. What about Kara? Is she back yet? No, she's still with Shakar. They're traveling around Dakar province. I thought you were going to visit them. I didn't get a chance. So, how are the fire caves? Fine. And now it's time for me to tell you some news. I'm not Keiko. <laughs> no? Who are you? Listen carefully, Miles. I have taken possession of your wife's body. I will hold it hostage until you do everything I tell you to, accurately and without question. Mm. Everything? If you don't do precisely what I ask, I'll kill your wife. Are you all right? So, I... Had a um, I had a very interesting reaction to this episode. This episode felt to me like watching a plane crash because when it started, by the time that the cold open rolled around, it reminded me of that like Air France flight from Brazil, which just fell out of the sky into the water and they didn't know what went wrong. Like I was the cold open, I was like, oh my god, there are people on the grounds. Like get out of this, get out of the way. About halfway through. They started to get control of the nose of the plane a little bit. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. my God, they're going to they're gonna actually manage to land this thing. And then the plane landed, and then it just skids off the runway at the very end and flips over. Um, I don't think people are hurt by the ending of it. I don't think it was a, a, as bad a crash as it could have been. But it was still, this is, this is probably the weakest episode we've seen in a very long time. And uh, it reminds me very strongly of early DS9. But what did you think? Um, I didn't mind it, honestly. Really? Uh, yeah, I thought it was fairly entertaining. Um, I thought probably the biggest marks against it, excuse me, um, 
were that the middle kind of just sort of like bottoms out at a certain point where it's it the the story doesn't really get too interesting. It's just sort of the same thing. Um, yeah. Like the stakes O'Brien don't, evading. Yeah. Yeah. The stakes don't really go up, and they and I feel like the entire thing subplot with Rom was added in because they needed something to do in the third act to change it up a little bit. Um. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was all right. I, I, yeah, I, I would I would probably agree that this is the weakest one that we've watched from this season so far, but it didn't offend me. Yeah, it's um, I think that it is. It's it's a weird it's a weird sort of throwback of an episode. It is. Like we 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 haven't seen a lot of DS Nine that does this kind of a like body possession. DS Nine has done body possession episodes before, but this feels very much like a a very old style Star Trek approach to something where the character takes over and then forces someone else to do something. Uh, O'Brien had that power play episode in TNG when he get took over by aliens and they took over the ship. So this mm-hmm. is kind of like a little flip for him where his wife is doing that. Oh, they have stuff that they can talk to talk about. They have, with each other now. <laughs> they have something in common at this point, but I think that the, for like the episode's kind of weird and the, the stuff that it does well is kind of the strengths of the show at this point, I think. And the stuff that it does bad is a sort of weird throwback material to something that the show, I thought the show had realized that it doesn't really do it all that well. Mm. And they don't really seem to be doing that. This is written by David Weddle and uh, Bradley Thompson, who this is their first script. They gave the, uh, they gave the idea, they pitched the idea for the rules of engagement episode last season, which was the one where Worf goes on trial for blowing up the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a very weird writing pair, and we'll get a lot to talk about with their episodes coming up, but I thought that, you know, the things that you think could have gone wrong with this episode, like Keiko O'Brien has to do, Rosalind Chow, I think her name, has to do a lot of the acting. I didn't think mm. she was that bad as a possessed alien. Um, yeah, I thought her worst bit of acting was at the end when she got zapped by that laser, and it yes. was like it was I I I I think it's clear that she's never had to do any sort of physical activity in her acting because <laughs> she's supposed to be like writhing around and bumping into stuff, but she's constantly looking over her shoulder and like gently bracing herself. And the yep, way when that she, she falls down, she braces herself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she collapsed to the ground very slowly and into the position of a person who had just laid down to take a nap. She. Her main thing is that she doesn't do the sort of bad stuff that the uh, the passenger did in the first season where they overact. She doesn't overact her possession, really. She yeah, plays it yeah. basically the same. I don't know if that's a caliber of, of actor uh, cal- uh, quality, but it's a it, it saves it from just becoming the sort of like ultimately mustache twirling villain that she could have been and kind of is. But it turns it into something a little bit more menacing. And the thing I like about the episode, you said you don't really you thought the middle kind of bottomed out. I actually... I actually think the middle is the best part to me just because it it does a pretty effective job of isolating O'Brien from yeah, everybody yeah, else. And like him, him being held hostage felt, it felt like the script thought everything out for him. Like he didn't have a lot of available outs that I saw. And so everything felt stressful. I like his turn on Rom. Uh, yeah. They don't mm-hmm. stick with it, but I really thought that was kind of like an effective use of Rom. And I think it's actually a pretty good Rom story mm-hmm. in and of itself. You learn a lot about Rom. We talked about the learning a lot about Bashir in the last episode by seeing him through Jake's vision. I feel like you learn a lot about Rom in this episode through O'Brien's storyline. Yeah, he loves uh, eggs now, I guess. Bacon. Yep. <laughs> he loves he loves um, cultural appropriation, as the yeah. kids are saying. <laughs> And uh, also, the uh, everyone's racist towards Ferengi 
rule stands because he throws Rom right under the bus and nobody even questions him about it. Nope. Although um, Quark's pretty racist towards humans, that's uh, true. I think. So it, it kind of balances out. The scales of justice are nicely balanced. But- um, yeah, you know, I think... The I think where it probably gets a little difficult in the middle for me is that they they do a nice job of isolating O'Brien, but they the you you never really know what he's doing, um, because it's so techno babbly, and even on that front, they don't really get, give you a lot. It's just a lot of like I need you to adjust these things, and then he's kind of like adjusting stuff and you don't really know what's going on i mean most techno babble we've ever seen well most techno babble we've seen in an episode in a long time you know it it felt like the series had moved away from that there's a lot of it here he's he's tinkering with numbers basically the whole episode and i mean maybe that's by design but i i don't i don't know that i i don't know i guess i guess it's a coin flip for me because on the one hand the reason that o'brien does it so willingly is that he doesn't think it's going to cause any big problem but i mean he probably should assume it's going to cause some sort of problem yes um but and on the other hand if you do know what he's doing then you don't have much of a third act reveal and also he's going to be a little bit more hesitant to do it but i don't know like there were the for 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 the stakes being what they are which should be fairly high which is keiko's life within uh being controlled by an alien who's seemingly willing to kill her at the drop of a hat. Um, there's not a ton of urgency about what's going on. It's, it's very, it's very much O'Brien kind of uh, t- tamping down his feelings and just sort of like doing what he, what he's being asked to do. There's not a lot of sweat behind it as far as like, you know, like they had that, they had the timer on it at the end where he's like, where he's got 13 hours to do it. And then at the end, he's like, how much time do I have left? 15 minutes all right well i gotta go run an errand i'll be back in <laughs> <Yeah>. 10 minutes <laughs> it's like, okay they, i guess they they do a lot of the uh, we call it the the countdown drama on tng when like the ship was counting down from 10 and it's gonna blow up and it stops she uh keiko has a running clock on him but it doesn't provide any sort of drama because he is he even in his interactions with the other members of the crew he only seems slightly miffed that they're annoying him you know, like, there's no urgency to him getting back and doing the work, or, like, there's no plot thread where Bashir wants to play that, like, tennis game with him, yeah, you know, yeah. and, like, is insisting on doing something, and everyone's getting a little bit odd. So the tension is, the tension's funny because it's all in O'Brien and the audience member's head, and it's not like the other characters are really interfering with him, even accidentally. Uh, right. Dax is probably yeah. the only one that comes closest because she's a workaholic and sort of realizes what he's doing in the middle of the night. Yeah, and it also... Like, uh, um, they, they somehow avoided, uh, like, I, f- I feel like the, the beat that was missing from this episode that you would usually get in a story like this is when he finally does break down and tell someone what's going on and people are like, okay. Like, I, I kept thinking about that. I was like, well, why doesn't he tell anybody about this? And I mean, obviously I, you know, they, cause she's holding Keiko hostage, but there was a couple instances where he could have told somebody, but then in my head I'm thinking, well, if he tells somebody, they're not going to believe him, and that's just going to gum up the works. But there, like you know, that 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 beat is usually there, um, yes. and I was surprised that they didn't do that at all. And usually, usually when you put that beat in, that adds another level of of, of stress to everything because then usually they quarantine you for some reason, which stops you from being able to do the thing you were going to do. Um, right. I think maybe they. 
they made the the alien too willing to kill her that any that he has to, he just has to do it there's no there's no room wiggle room for him to be uh uh deceptive or taken out of the the equation because she's clearly going to be killed like there's nothing right. so, he he takes two steps towards towards Cisco and she gets thrown off a fucking balcony <laughs> I actually really like that. It sounds funny and goofy when you describe it. I thought that was pretty effective use of um, what the alien was willing to do and like to show the stakes against O'Brien. I, I like that kind of thing. Yeah, I thought. That, I mean, it was fun. I'm, I'm I'm happy that they actually established stakes. It's mm-hmm. just, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it it, it it was a strange way to play all that stuff out because yeah, it was so much. All of that stuff was internal, and I guess, I guess you could argue that it is fairly effective because it at least for me anyway, it was making me work through the, the, the things that he could possibly do, which I'm sure the character would be doing at the same time. Right. You know, like, it's like it, you sit, or sit there, you sit there going, well, shit, well, if he can tell, no, he's not going to believe him. And, uh, well, no, he can't do that. If he's, she's clearly what, you know, so you start going through the same mental gymnastics that O'Brien would be going through. Um, whether or not that's really a positive, I don't really know. Well, I don't think it is a positive because it ends in a very classic teen, uh, Star Trek trope where the techno babble kind of solves the problem at the end. And I, I said that the plane was um, the plane hit the runway, landed. I thought everything was okay, and then it kind of skidded off the runway. I think that the I think that the ending is very bad to this, mm-hmm. and I think it's because it is a it's an ending that doesn't make any sense for the Pa-Wraith, which is the thing that's possessed Keiko, Mm -hmm. because, and it also doesn't make sense in what they're trying to do to the prophets. So, like, maybe people consider this nitpicky. I I don't think it is, because I think this is, like, pretty important to the characters of the prophets. The prophets previously have been shown to be sort of, like, out-of-time aliens. They're Like, they have no concept of time. Mm -hmm. The reason they're called the prophets is because they can see the future. So... They know that this is going to be happening. So the the very the very fact that they don't do anything shows the ending is going to be the, the outcome that they don't stop this power wraith. And also, the power wraith is an ex prophet. Like it's the same alien that got cast out into hell, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So why does it act so differently from the prophets? The prophets talk in a very distinct way. This thing talks like a normal person. So it's it's just stuff like that. It, like it doesn't. It, if they they. On Memory Alpha, they were saying that they were trying desperately to tie this episode into DS9 lore somehow. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't feel it was strong enough, just basically whatever it, they had going for it. So they tried to tie it into the the profit lore. And I just don't think it really works all that well. Like, it it kind of it kinks up the profit stuff by now the profits are really just this ham-fisted allegory for heaven and hell mm-hmm. on Earth. And the, how the aliens react to each other doesn't make sense with the way that we've been shown that the aliens actually are. And then it's just a goofy O'Brien shoots a laser beam at the ship instead of like, why does this alien trust him at this point to do anything? If it knows that it can get killed by the same beam that they're using to point at the prophets, why is the alien like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go stand in the line of fire for this thing. And I also noticed that when O'Brien is playing the xylophone made out of Keiko's ribs, <laughs> <laughs> he gets two clearly different notes when he strikes the same rib twice. So I don't know if we're supposed to believe this is some sort of magic xylophone or something. I'm not really sure. Don't no, they I, have I, I, I see what you're saying. Editors. 
Um, it, it, uh, you know, I don't, honestly, I didn't really notice that stuff cause I don't like the profit stuff. I'm uh, mm-hmm. well documented in that, in that regard. Um, yep. but yeah, I thought it was, um, I, I thought the ending made sense in as much as what they established in this episode. Like, okay. yeah, the, the laser's going to kill the prophets instantly. And they've already established that you need to be like, you can't. Just <laughs> <There's> no- <laughs> when he's when he's going through the different ways to knock her out the fastest, I was like, someone call someone call Will Riker. He might have some thoughts about this. Um, but like as soon as they as she was like, they won't even know what hit them. I was like, all right, obviously he's gonna blast them with the, the ship. And but then it got like that made sense to me. I was like, all right, this is what they're setting up. Obviously, this is how it's gonna end. What didn't make sense to me was why they had to be outside the the space station. Like yes. There's, there was no like, oh, I need to, I need to re-enter the wormhole exactly at the moment that the 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 beam stops or some shit like that. Like it, she could right. have just shot the wormhole, gone and had a, a a stack of pancakes with Rom, and then jumped in the ship and flown back into it. Like there was no reason that she needed to be out there and open to the uh, the blast the way that she was. Yeah, I thought they were. I thought they were going to make some argument about like the runabout has to act like a lightning rod or something, but that doesn't seem to be the case because she didn't want to get hit by it in any way, shape, or form. So there, there's no reason for her to be out there. She should have been looking out the uh, the windows of the promenade as yeah. uh, as the characters are want to at do. At the very least, at the very least, she should have been like O'Brien. Maybe don't position us in between the giant laser and the hole. Maybe yep. we go yep. to the left a little bit, out of range. <laughs> But she, uh, yeah, she needs she needs him. It does it. It, it felt very, it felt very trite to me. And I, I don't like uh, I don't like the way that they sort of tried to tie the lore in there. And you know, for for all the stuff that I thought it it did fairly well, um, it does kind of just keep stumbling over itself in certain spots like that. And uh, as much as the O'Brien uh, and Rom stuff works as much as I like Rom in this episode. I, I like the sort of splitting of the B plot there, where Rom's storyline is kind of jokey in a little bit of ways. Mm-hmm. Like it's Rom trying to impress his new uh, workmates who are less than impressed with him. And you know, I, I didn't really mind any of that. It it certainly didn't feel it didn't feel like an important episode. You know what yeah, I mean? It, yeah. it felt like when I was watching, it was just like, this is kind of just a waste of time. In, in a way that the other episodes, even if they're not about anything that has any lasting consequences, they at least felt a little bit more important than this one does. Yeah. I would also like to point out, I was watching this, and my girlfriend was kind of in and out, and she also brought up the fact that uh, why do people still talk about cooking when they have replicators doing everything? For which I paused the show pushed my glasses up onto my nose and I said, well, I guess it depends on what your definition of cooking is because you could probably either just replicate everything and call it cooking for those who don't like to cook, but those who do like to cook, it's possible that maybe they just replicate the ingredients and cook it themselves. But then you have to think, well, do all of these places that they're staying in when they're being designed, if they're being designed for a replicator, do they not design them with a kitchen in mind? Because why would you need a kitchen if you have a replicator? But if they do have a kitchen in them, that seems like a waste of space and waste your energy. So if you don't have a kitchen, do you have to use a replicator to replicate some sort of like small cooking device like a hot plate or hibachi or something like that? You could boil water and cook anything. And I've gone (laughs) cross. It's also... To get really into the weeds, 
they also don't really have a very futuristic way of dealing with all the shit that they produce from eating the food because yes. Rom's job yeah. <laughs> is to deal with the sewage on the station. Keiko, Keiko very clearly puts the empty dishes back into the replicator, but apparently that just dumps them into a trough that Rom has to sift through <laughs> like he's in the basement of the Death Star. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't... He didn't. He really didn't win. Went out in that uh, that job hunt. I I think that the well, the cooking thing is you can make the argument that people uh, they spend time cooking to show their sort of like how much they care about other people. But no one seems to have any, uh, especially people like Keiko. They don't really have a job that's eating up their time during mm. the day. So hey her display or whatever she or something. Yeah. No, she's no longer a teacher. She's just a botanist who goes around oh. and looks at plants every once in a while. Oh, um, right. She goes to those, uh, what were you laughing at? She goes to like um, uh, speeches. Why can't oh, I think of right. <laughs> the term for academic speeches? But she goes to those things every once in a while. Yeah, um, yeah lecture series. She, oh, also, yeah, I lectures. found it, I was wondering, can can the computer whisper? Because I thought it was hilarious when, when Keiko goes to bed and then O'Brien very slyly is like, computer. Get me, get me all of the files about the Bajoran cave wraiths. And then the computer's like, there are 6,000 entries for Bajoran cave wraiths that I could possibly show you. Geiko's like, well, Miles, is that, is that, you? it's like, yeah, it's, uh, O'Brien needs to, O'Brien makes the, uh, the blunder of trying to watch some adult videos in his office, but the Bluetooth connected speaker is not functioning. <laughs> Just, he's just blasting what did that this. Ha- what, uh, shit, was that Silicon Valley? Did that happen on that happened on something I was watching recently where the they had connected their iPad to the Bluetooth while they were you know yeah. watching porn? I forget what it was. I, I, th- I, think, I think it was, it was Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's he's doing that. He can't look up the the uh, the power eighths in any kind of way, shape, or form. And um, yeah, I think that the you know. It's it's kind of, uh, other than that, the only other things that I can really take away from it is one of the few episodes that uh, we don't get a dumb Odo story about forgetting that he's a solid. He forgets he's a solid and then goes up and starts threatening O'Brien, who just punches him in the face. Yeah, I was I was kind of hoping O'Brien was going to was going to make reference to that and be like, just for clarification, you're just a human now. Right. And then just punch him in the face. And also, Rene Aubergenois does a little business of rubbing his chin at the end. He doesn't have a line, but he's he's in the background sort of rubbing his chin as O'Brien comes back on. I was going to say also, just to throw it back a minute, I mean, if people were into that, we could turn this into like a Star Trek uh, ASMR podcast and just, right. and just talk about O'Brien like very softly. Scene two, interior space station. DS9, Cisco approaches. We just read the script as a <laughs> with, with that white noise the, engine uh, sound in the background. The, the Bajoran prophets are a shitty subplot. <laughs> so l- let's finish with that, I suppose. The prophets. You don't like the prophets. I know. Um, I, I think that they're. I don't need to go on record again as why I don't like them. I just think. I think they're kind of lazy. Um, and I just don't. I, I don't know. The whole prophet thing I find boring. That's all. Yeah, one of the the I weird feel like weaknesses. The sh- sorry, I think the show is so much past that now uh, okay. that you that it doesn't really need it anymore. Sure. What the? Uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but Kira's not in this episode. Um, she seems like a character who would make sense to be in it because they have that awkward scene where 
the pirates are introduced by apparently Odo and Jake were shooting the shit with each other mm-hmm. about it, which makes zero sense to me. It feels like it should have been a Kira thing. Uh, Nana Visitor was giving birth at this point in the series, oh. so she'll be out for a couple episodes, but they are handling that uh, storyline, <laughs> that real-life storyline. Yeah, what, and- what, what, what instance were... Odo and Jake talking about Bajoran anything, yeah, anything, anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, in that situation, I feel like that conversation is like is Jake going like, "Hey, Odo, do you know anything about?" And then Odo cuts him off and goes, "Dude, I'm real busy." Yeah, where's your father? Please yeah. go talk to your father about these things. Yeah, so they they have kind of awkward stuff like that stuck in because uh, Nana Visitor wasn't there. It was originally supposed to be a Bajoran holiday they were celebrating, and they turned it into O'Brien's birthday instead. Yeah. Because they, had to make things easier. So the implication I, is that she scheduled that party before all this happened, right? Yes. Okay. And then she had to live up to that. Yep. Afterwards. So one, one thing that would really elevate this material for me is this, what happens in this episode, a metaphor for anything. Is this a metaphor on their relationship? What can we, I view this episode more. I thought it was more interesting to look at it as a, a meta criticism of the O'Brien relationship in the po- in the show to this point because mm-hmm. they just feel so disconnected from each other. O'Brien, I know they're trying to play Molly off as um, the little kid Molly as a kind of a thorn in O'Brien's side a lot of the time. Like the mm-hmm. kid plays the role of being the spoiler for him. His reactions to her, though, make it seem like he would rather have her be anywhere else than talking to him yeah. at any point whenever <laughs> she says something, and. I don't know. It's just, it's just really weird. Like they're really not good at this relationship stuff. But I don't know. You you could maybe if you wanted to do the English lit analysis of this, I think you could maybe struggle to say that this is something about their relationship. I'm not going to go that far. I'm only being half serious with it. But I I don't think this episode is actually about anything. But I think it might have benefited from a little bit of symbolism because it doesn't have anything in that way towards uh, any of the story. Yeah, they kind of. I think they kind of dance away from that or dance around it by not having O'Brien interact with anybody, because I think it becomes a metaphor or symbolism or whatever, when other people can see how they're acting with each other Mm -hmm. or see how O'Brien is acting towards her. Um, And there isn't any of that. Like they don't even touch on it. uh, No, except for the part at the party where he breaks the glass. And even, even that it's just very quick and it's kind of over. Um, I hate um, that. I hate that stuff too. When someone gets so angry, they shatter a glass yeah. in their hand. <laughs> if that ever That's happened really in real life, you should immediately call a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that the O'Briens just have extremely stereotypical birthday parties for each other? Like when Keiko's birthday rolls around, O'Brien's like, "Here's the uh, sushi rolls that I've prepared for yeah. everybody." She gets everyone whiskey, <laughs> and she's got she like poured Irish him. Music. A fucking glass of whiskey, too. That was not that was not a little bit of whiskey. That was like four to five fingers worth of whiskey. <laughs> it goes against her plan. She needs him on tip top shape and she's she's uh playing the role. Apparently the the uh the sort of genesis of the idea of the episode was they wanted to do something as if like when when in real life when a husband and wife or like a relationship are uh, having a huge fight, but they still need to do some social event right, together. Right. They wanted that to be the thing. I, it doesn't really come across that way. I understand, like, if someone says that to me, I go, oh, of course, that's yeah. what's going on because that's what's going on in the party scene. But I wish there was more of that. Like, I really, 
I do like the scene in Sickbay where she's like, kiss me, Miles. And Bashir is like, yeah, go kiss your wife. And O'Brien has to kiss this thing that's taken control of her. Mm -hmm. I wish there was more of that stuff. It is sprinkled throughout, but I wish it was a little bit more even heavy handed. Yeah, I think they I think they drop that ball because Keiko doesn't show that anything's wrong. You know, right. like like O'Brien is is trying to keep it together, but he's reacting to something being wrong. But Keiko is not equaling that energy. Um, so there, you kind of lose this idea of that there's something going on because Keiko is is that she's acting normal. Yeah, she's yeah. acting normal and telling him to act normal, and she's acting as like there is nothing going on, which is it's difficult right. to to you know, telegraph that there is something going on if you're not doing that. Um, She's the best version of Keiko the other cast members have ever seen, yeah, probably. Exactly. She's yeah. cooking food, throwing parties, yeah. yeah. Um, I did I did find it a little weird. Uh, I, I'm not going to go completely down the route that you've established, but I I think that um, the relationship, you, pu- you put it in my head that there's something a little... Um, homoerotic going on with him and Bashir. Yeah. Because that, it, that opening it, it very scene, much is, yeah. that opening scene when they're talking about the, the plant or whatever, and, and Keiko has <laughs> arrived and he's yeah, like, yeah. Julian, I want you, I want you to go with me though. And he's like, why? Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, I think, I think O'Brien might have a crush on, on Bashir, but if Bashir is completely oblivious to it because <laughs> and, and uh, honest and it, you know it was that but then it was also at the end when they're having the little denouement with uh, uh keiko and o'brien talking about it we just came off of an episode where uh dax and Worf just like raw dogged each other in an elevator or wherever they were yeah. um yeah. and these two newly reunited uh husband and wife just like do one of those thirties era like hug and touch cheek things. Yes. And I was yep. like, you're not even gonna kiss your wife? <laughs> There's something going on here, man. And also yeah, it also the fact that when they were um uh I forget why where they were, but he has Dax radios him and like asks him this really uh heavily um uh, in it, what's the word I'm looking for? Innuendo laden oh. question about it, whether or not he enjoyed his birthday. And yes, O'Brien's like, on the about yeah, it, the it, was, yeah. it was fine. Why do you ask? And Dax is like, oh, no reason. And it's like, you can hear her buttoning her suit back up. <laughs> like it, it was kind of, you know, like the, <laughs> the, the obliviousness to uh, that O'Brien has towards like the fact that he's married to a woman uh, yes. is, is very odd. <laughs> they're just poorly it's just, yeah it's very it's very strange we're obviously being uh facetious and sort of silly with it because that there's no the writers don't intend this but the no like Bashir and O'Brien have a married relationship that the O'Briens lack they talk yeah. to each other in a way that it feels more like they are in a relationship than Keiko and Miles are because everything is just so stilted with the O'Briens it's it's just a little bit silly do you um speaking on that like do you have any sort of opinion about the do you have any opinion about O'Brien episodes at this point and I won't say any more than that until you uh, you can ask me if I'm sort of neat, if you want more information but do you have any sort of opinion about O'Brien episodes um I you probably don't remember a lot of I them I don't but. but I feel like that's sort of part of my 
opinion is that they tend to be fairly unmemorable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They feel, they feel like O'Brien episodes seem like they are the most um, isolated episodes. Like it's, it's very rarely O'Brien in a larger story. It's usually like That's a true. very isolated O'Brien thing. Yeah, um, he's usually dealing with his very specific issue to himself. Yeah, and I feel and like, like he a lot of times yeah. can't yeah. tell people stuff. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like This is at least the second episode where there was a problem where he couldn't talk to anybody about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can think of Whispers, the one where he was a clone, mm-hmm. and then there's the one, Hard Time, where he was kind of going through his own internal turmoil and he didn't want to talk to anybody yep. about it, which is kind of the same thing. And then there's this one where he, he's being held hostage and he can't tell anyone anything. Hey, man. Yeah. You know, he's Irish. That's just what they do, right? It is. Stiff upper lip and all that. But I, I think that the, the O'Brien stuff, O'Brien stories rely way too much on his family and that sort of isolation factor and the fact that the, the trope is that O'Brien must suffer. Mm-hmm. It's always him undergoing some sort of like, you know, some sort of personal trauma or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And it is getting a little old, I think. it's it, you, you never get a refreshing breather episode where O'Brien just sort of like, fucks around somewhere and has fun with things like that never happens was i mean like is that the kind of show you'd want to see though no yeah like what's the but what's th- the other side of that coin i i feel like i've learned the most about o'brien from this rewatch here like i the other characters i think i had a, a more of a hand, a stronger handle on going in o'brien has kind of been a revelation to me and i i don't really like the o'brien character all that much mm-hmm. um i would have I would have, if I was show running this, I would have asked for them to shake something up a couple seasons ago with him. Like something needs to change with him because I don't really, I think he's too, he's fine as like the engineer of the station. But as we were saying about TNG, like the, the characters on this show are more than the theme that they inhabit. Like he needs to be more than just the engineer of the station. And they tried to do this family thing and it just doesn't work out for me. Yeah. So it doesn't, he ends up with nowhere to go. Um. Yeah, I feel like he's better served as a supporting character. I think he's his characteristics are <clears throat> I don't want to say ill-defined, but they are bland enough and uh that he works better as like a piece of a puzzle other than uh, rather than the person driving the ship. Yeah, uh, it's a mixed metaphors yep. there. Um you know, because like I, I feel like he's better served in episodes like the one with him and Bashir down on the planet, where he's you know wants to kill everybody, but Bashir's trying to save everybody. Like he he works well in those situations because he seems to be a man of fairly uh, extreme views. Um, and yeah. I, do, I don't mean that like you know what I mean. It, like he's he's got. I would I would say he's I would say he's the most conservative of the characters. Yes, yeah, in a that's lot of a good ways. way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he doesn't really get a lot of chance to be part of those stories um i you know it's funny as i was watching this you're talking about shaking things up uh i was thinking what would have been fun is if somehow they fail and keiko is just this new alien person from now on Mm -hmm. because she was way more interesting and uh the having to reconcile now my wife is taken over by this alien persona 
how do we live together? Do we live together? Like it would, it would just be yeah. more interesting, you know. Like there was a uh, um, uh, on. Did you ever watch Angel? You never watched Buffy or Angel, right? Nope, nope. So there's a character who was on Angel who was, uh, I think, I can't remember how many seasons she was there for for a decent a decent while, and then in the last season, early on in the se- I think it was the last season, early on in the season they killed her, and. They repl- They had a demon inhabit her body, and then so she was the same actress, actress, but now she was just playing this demon character instead of the character she was playing before, and right. it, you know it it worked. Like the the original character had run its course for for the most part. She got a really uh you know heartbreaking death scene, and then they kept her on as this new character, and now everybody has to deal with this new character who looks just like the other character. It's kind of like the Tom Riker thing, only like more drastic, where you're yes. actually yep. creating a new character, but you know putting it in the shell of the old character. Um, I don't know. It might have been kind of fun because then like yeah, you know this this creature this uh god ghost thing has to deal with the fact that she's now married and has two kids uh and is married to a guy who doesn't really seem to be interested in her at all like it it would it would have been kind of interesting yeah that's the uh it adds the second storyline the b story to the o'brien uh kira pregnancy subplot we just like have an entire sort of like everything falling apart around o'brien well, you know like I, honestly I, I at the beginning when keiko showed up they they make this big deal about the, the, the bonsai tree or whatever. And yes. when he's talking to her in the airlock and she's just like eating the candy and is like, I don't give a shit. I didn't even realize that that was something that was wrong. Like I just assumed, sure. well, she did yeah. she, ever since she got rid of that baby, she was carrying, <laughs> she seems to be a lot more carefree and like enjoying life. So maybe she's just not yeah. sweating the little things anymore. I don't know. Yeah. The, the bonsai thing is just so, it's just such a, they write them so cliche because Keiko has never shown any kind of anger about O'Brien doing stuff yeah. like that. Like O'Brien is always in his head about like, oh my God, Keiko's going to be so mad at me when she finds out what I did something. And the character has never cared. Character has never been anything. Like she gets mad. They argue occasionally or they bicker about something, but it's never like she, she's never defined by that characteristic of being this sort of um, oppressive, like, um, like she's got his balls in her purse or anything. It's it's a very strange way that they write them. They write them in a more of a cliche way than the performances actually portray them. Yeah. Also to touch back again about their sexual or asexual relationship. There was mm-hmm. that hand the, on hips. What's that? Hand on hips. Yeah. Uh, when he's in the bed, he he puts puts his little right, hands on. Right. Like they wake up and he's yep. just like fully clothed and he puts his hand on. Her. But before that, at the beginning, she's like, "I'm not your wife," and all of a sudden he's like, "Ooh." <laughs> Who are you? Tell me more. <laughs> Anything? Anyone but Keiko? He's he's already got like a whole persona lined up for. He's like, I'm going to call you Debbie, and I'd like you to wear your hair up. <laughs> let's. <laughs> what if we use a name like another girl name? Like, let's say like, what if I? What if your name is Adrian? Oh, even <laughs> better. Your name is Dad. Even better. What if it's Julian? <laughs> <laughs> I want you, we're going to play role play. You're going to be the doctor. I'm going to be your nurse. All right. Um, I think we're done with this episode. It's the assignment. It's no great shakes for me, but we're going to take a break, play an audio clip. We'll come back, read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts. Sorry to disturb you, Chief. A couple of things are still bothering me. Rom couldn't have done all this sabotage alone. There were too many changes for any one person to make. Maybe so. 
Right now, I've got a frequency problem in the cascade feeder. I checked with the repair logs. I was hoping to match someone's movements to the locations where the alterations were made, but I couldn't do that. We had a matrix systems failure yesterday. Those files were lost, sorry. Hmm. We've had a lot of systems failures recently, haven't we, Chief? Really? I hadn't noticed I'd been too busy repairing things. Like the surveillance channels and the holding cells? You authorized a security override. What was wrong with them? The fiber optic relay was out of sync. The isolinear chip junction was... Enough, Chief. You didn't cover your tracks very well. Why? I didn't have time. I still don't. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We'll read them on the podcast. Holly McLaughlin says the assignment. Rom is one of my favorite characters and any episode that throws him together with one of the bigger characters is enjoyable. It gives a real sense of DS9 is more than just a space station. It's like Little House on the Prairie, 500 years in the future. And it's so much fun to get a deeper insight into the inner lives of some of the townsfolk we so often see in the background of bigger stories. Number two goes to Christian Pouch. He says, assignment. Kago is pretty good as a malevolent psycho. That said, Rom steals the show a bit for me. Really glad to see him succeeding and earning respect. Two people have commented on Rom. We didn't really spend any time with Rom. Uh, do you want to say anything about Rom, Clay, or are you okay with what we did? I thought he was good. I thought it was a good episode for him. Like I said, it feel, his story feels a little bit tacked on. Um, like it, uh, uh, it's one of those B plots where it, it feels like it's, I it I actually didn't mind it as much because it was a B plot in service to the A plot. Yes, it's and very think, important to the A plot. Yeah, yeah, those seem to be the way the better way to handle these things in the show cuz usually the last handful of B plots I've been like, "Well, why did they even do that? Why don't you just take that out?" Yeah. And uh you know, just give more time to the A plot. Um but yeah, I thought the the stuff with him was good. Um I really liked the way it played out with him at the end. Um you know, he was he was still dopey rum, but he was he was effective in the story and, and you know, they didn't they didn't play him like a complete, you know, piece of shit. Yeah, the the criticism of Rom is that they always people always say that his intelligence is too schizophrenic, but I, I think he's he's supposed to be an idiot savant type. Like he is very mm-hmm. good at engineering things, but he's not right. very good at anything else. And uh, my only problem with the storyline is I thought that the the scene where O'Brien, the scene at the very end where Quark and Rom are talking to each other, it's a it's a button to the top of the show where they open up as those two are talking to each other. But I would have preferred um, O'Brien personally delivering his promotion to Rom because yeah. I think Rom deserved that scene at the end, or like O'Brien, he, he deserved to be appreciated by O'Brien on screen as opposed to just an off screen promotion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's see here, but what <laughs> if it was the final scene? was Keiko and O'Brien in bed and then all of a sudden you like the camera widens out and Rom is also there and he just rolls over and he's like Rom I'd like to give you a promotion <laughs> Rom you stole my heart I like I like Rom he's um he always wins a most annoying character stuff but I like him a little bit more than that they don't overplay him he doesn't show up all the time so I think that the ladies he's, he's seem to be terrible. into him too apparently yeah he's 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 uh un what is that un Threatening, I suppose, would be the way to describe it. Good listener. Uh, good listener, that's right. Zam Nuclear Wessel says the assignment, proof that you don't need the best actors in the world, you just have to have each actor do something they're good at. I think that's true. I think that's very true of this episode. Cal Barrett, 
I think the episode wouldn't have been a lot better if it had been some sort of biting allegory or metaphor for marriage, but sadly it's not. It's just another mm. one of the long line of crew member gets possessed by an alien spirit episodes. And it pulls off that storyline in a perfectly okay way. It introduces the power wraith, so that's something, I guess. Even as a big fan of O'Brien, I'm getting fed up with the amount of O'Brien Must Suffer episodes and O'Brien Marriage episodes. Although if you asked O'Brien, I think he'd say that they're one and the same. The best part of the episode is at the end when O'Brien tells Keiko, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. It's such a clear attempt by O'Brien to try and get Keiko to shut up about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's it. That is it for the assignment. Not a lot of comments so, on this one. So is that implying that these pa rays come back? I didn't want to I I didn't want to tell you about this. I mm. it, they do come back. Um Great, cool. But but I'm going to I'm going to leave it. Uh, I'll, I'm going to table that discussion for now, and we'll talk about it when they do make their return. Um, let's Can't see wait! Can't wait! Uh, that, that's I was kind of asking you a little bit of leading questions about the prophet, and wanted you to like update your opinions about that. So we'll see we'll see how things go. Uh, but let's see. This is the assignment. We're done with it. Those are all the comments. Sorry, it took me a little time to realize what's going on. So what are you going to give this one, Clay? On our scale of one to five, I'll give it a three. Three. Yep. Yeah. Two for me. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it felt like a real regression for me. And that's fair. I, I feel like this is the reason the previous season was so good is that we didn't have a lot of episodes like this. And we've only had this one so far. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that the rest of the, the season sort of falls into this two zone, but it, it really felt like a regression to me. It didn't feel like it, um, added anything it felt a little bit redundant it, it was effective but i think the show any show in its fifth season should be effective at storyline stuff mm. um and i think that this one kind of fits that mold so i'm gonna give it a two yeah i would i would agree with that but i also think this is probably better than any of the ones like this in the first couple seasons yes yep um so it, i you know it didn't bother me that much they have a better handle on the characters now you, you yeah. when the characters interact with each other it's just better than it was early on also, uh, special special guest star Worf in this episode where he's like, Chief O'Brien, it's good to see you. I've <laughs> got to go. <laughs> I heard that your wife took a header off the uh, the balcony. <laughs> we should really uh, build some fences around those things. Michael I've been telling Dorn Cisco. cashed the check in this episode. <laughs> um, that's about it. The assignment. I'm going to give it a two. Clay will give it a three. Uh, we are done. Facebook, Twitter discord go to all those things discord is the most important you can check out facebook and twitter if you want but discord is the place to talk about the show you can also support the show on patreon.com slash the penske file if you want to support the show give a couple dollars a month you get extra stuff and then you can rate the show on itunes if you're so inclined that would be great much appreciated rate the show anywhere anywhere we can rate it just rate the show have you streamlined all of the social media accounts or just facebook because you you recently got rid of all of the other facebook pages right yeah, so everything is going through the one Facebook page and my one Twitter. So the real ripe okay, thing, see. I won't be using to post real ripe oh, stuff. Everything okay. will just come through me. Gotcha. Just because uh, there was no use for all the extra ones, I don't think. Everyone can just come to one place. It makes it easier on me. I think it makes it easier on everyone else, too. So Yeah, yeah. Um, that's about it, I think. I think we're done with this. Do you have anything you want to say, Clay? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, and I think, uh, let's see, I don't know where in time we are right now, but, uh, I think night, night moves two is on the shelves right now. Uh, poser number four, the final issue of poser comes out on next week. I think, mm-hmm. I don't remember what the date is, but 
it's probably around the time you're listening to this. So yes, it's it's, it's out it's out now. If you're uh, if it's out next week, it's out now certainly for so you can check that out. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it for me anyway. Let me see here. I thought I had one other thing. Oh, the uh, uh, the patron one of the patron podcasts will be doing a uh, a revisit of Trouble with Tribbles because we have Trials and Tribulations coming up, uh, which is our next DS9 episode. So Ooh. we'll do a sort of revisit of the original series Trouble with Tribbles just so that we can refresh ourselves. I figured if we have to uh, if we have to watch that just to get the most out of Trials and Tribulations, I thought we might as well get a patron podcast out of it. So we'll be talking about. Uh, it won't be like a rehash review of it because we already did that. You can listen to it, but it'll be more of like touching back in TOS and seeing how we feel about that series at this point in time. I think that's mm-hmm. the best way to go about it. Yeah, sounds good. All right, guys, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. <laughs>